Hello, I'm Sarah Williams, the Head of Surrogacy, Fertility, Adoption and Modern Family Law at Payne Hicks Beach. And my guest today is Andrew Toes, a parent who has had a child through surrogacy in America. Andrew, it would be really interesting if we could explore your experience of the surrogacy journey, if you like, in both the UK and the US, because I understand that you did start looking in the UK. Uh, yes, that's correct. Uh, my husband and I, when we first started thinking about surrogacy, we were somewhat put off by the costs involved in going down the US route. So we started our journey in the UK, completely ignorant at the time of the difficulties involved in the UK route and the inadequacies of the of the system here. So we spent probably uh, probably close to nine months, I think, in total, um, trying to go down the UK route before we uh, we gave up and we took the plunge and went down the US route. How was the search for a surrogate in the UK? Where did you begin? We registered with the leading surrogacy agency in the UK and. We then, uh, the process of finding a surrogate through them was at the time, and as far as I'm aware still is, that you had to create a profile on their website and regularly update your story, uh, so to speak, in terms of, you know, give lots of information about you and you both and your relationship, um, mm -hmm. and then regularly update it through the journey, such as it was. But also you then had to attend what they called socials, and there were various socials within a two hour, we sort of limited ourselves to two hour drive from London just because of logistics and practicalities. Um, and they would take place at motorway service station, uh, pubs, sort of harvesters and brewers fairs. And there would be lots of other intended parents there. And there would be current and potential surrogates as well, although you weren't allowed to ask if someone was a current or potential surrogate uh, you just had to chat to people and the idea was that eventually hopefully you would chat to a potential surrogate and she would like you enjoy that conversation and uh, express a wish to get to know you better and it would go from there but we were given absolutely no guidance as to how long it would take, how many of these socials we would have to attend. And because they, they couldn't give us any guidance, there was no means of, of saying how long it would take for us to hopefully accidentally get talking to a potential surrogate who might like us. And so after attending five or, or six of these socials um, over the course of, I'd say, seven, eight months, we were just very disheartened by by the lack of certainty uh, as to timing um you know as far as we were concerned we could have been going to socials for two three years or if not longer and so we decided that that yeah we were we were we were desperate to do that and so we uh, we decided that the lack of certainty and the other deficiencies in the system that we had learned about weren't for us and fortunately we were able to afford to go down the US route. And I think another important 
point that made us uncomfortable with the UK route was the very heavy stress and emphasis that was placed on the surrogate effectively becoming part of your family and that the expectation was that there would be an ongoing relationship between you and and the surrogate after the birth of the child and that it would be very frowned upon if one ever expressed any desire for there to be any sort of distance between you um, or if one expressed a wish for actually not really wanting a heavy kind of a very involved ongoing relationship Uh, and that made us uncomfortable because our family was as far as we concerned that was me Chris and 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 our baby when the baby was born Um, we weren't looking to to make a, a new friend or expand that family Obviously, if circumstances were such that we got on really well with the surrogate, and that's wonderful, then. But we didn't want it to be there to be this expectation, and we didn't want to mislead. Um, you know, obviously, it would have been open to us to pretend that that was our intention, only then to cut contact or distance ourselves from the surrogate afterwards. But that felt dishonest and unpleasant. The whole thing just made us feel very uncomfortable. So that was another reason why we decided to jump ship to to the states so when you made that decision where did you start close friends of ours um had started going down the u.s route so we had a chat with them uh about it and they recommended uh, an agency who uh, assist couples with um the u.s surrogacy um and uh, so we signed up with them and they then uh had a kind of a tele- a sort of telecon or skype con with us and they off the back of that they then recommended to us a u.s surrogacy agency and a clinic so the kind of the next step in the process was then you know chatting with the u.s agency um, who called conceivabilities and uh, we had what was called a matching matters um, consultation and matching matters was the process um, through which they match you with a surrogate and you have a long chat with them about what you're looking for in a surrogate um, the, obviously there are lots of things that they discuss with you that they aren't just about what you're looking for in a surrogate but also what you are what your expectations are all in terms of an ongoing relationship with a surrogate um, the level of contact you want during the uh, medical process uh, during the pregnancy and then afterwards and also more difficult questions such as you would want there to be an abortion, for example, obviously quite a difficult topic, but one which it's important that you feel the same about as as the surrogate. They ask the question because they want to match you with a surrogate who has the same expectations. There's absolutely no expectation that you should want the surrogate to become a member of your family and for there to be lots of involvement after the birth. Um, it's, it's entirely up to you and they match you with a surrogate who has the same expectations and we wanted regular contact during the pregnancy and with you know whatsapps we and, and as much other contact as the surrogate was comfortable with that we definitely wanted to come over for the 20-week scan and in terms of contact afterwards you know we were not looking to uh, you know expand our family not looking for a new best friend but that if we got on really well with the surrogate, then of course we would maintain contact, you know, WhatsApps and and uh, and that kind of thing. And and that is exactly what's happened. We um, exchange WhatsApps with uh, our surrogate 
pretty regularly. Uh, so, you know, and, and we're very happy that we have that. You know, from the very beginning of the US process, we were given very clear guidance and, t- and timelines. Um, I remember the very first call we had with conceivabilities. They said, well, you know, uh, we can say with you know, a great deal of confidence that within two years of this conversation, uh, you have brought your baby home. And they were right. It was a very accurate guide. And, you know, the next step of the Matching Matters consultation, um, uh, our consultant said, yeah, well, it'll take four to six months for me to match you with a surrogate. And 90% of the time, that first match is a, is, is a, is a winner. And, and lo and behold, it was just under six months later, she sent us details. Of, and we really liked the sound of her. And we then had a Skype call and uh, so we could kind of meet each other and off the back of that uh, you know you each say whether you're happy to go ahead and we were and we did how reassuring is that to have those time scales oh, compared to the uk system oh, it's like chalk and cheese just being able to being told um you know within two years you'll be bringing baby home is just the most <laughs> it was the most amazing feeling thinking gosh that's that's it that's that's two years there's a lot of hoops to jump through now and then but you know we can start thinking of this as something that's touch wood going to happen uh, whereas in the uk you don't have any certainty about how long you're going to be going through the process at all no guidance uh, and no no certainty whatsoever and no contract or even if you have a contract it has no force anyway Exactly. So no, no certainty, no legal certainty, no certainty as to timing. And so back in the, in the States then, you match, and in addition to the psychological evaluations, does she, she also has independent legal advice? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very, it was very important. I, I think the US system, they uh, insist upon the surrogate having independent legal advice. So. And how soon before the birth did you travel to the States? So they recommend flying out uh, two weeks before the due date. And what what was the birth like? Were you rushing to the hospital? How did you prepare for it? <laughs> yeah, so we had a fairly good idea that he was going to arrive early. We got one last night of uh, Footley's Fancy Free um, Living where we went out with some friends and for a lovely meal and, and got a little bit inebriated. Um, we woke up on the Sunday and it was late in the morning. Well, thankfully, we were recovered. She was heading to the hospital. So that we weren't panicked. We had a bag packed and everything, but the sort of we didn't know how long she might be in labour for to risk taking the train from Penn Station or just hopping in a yellow cab. Um, and in the end, we thought, well, we're, we've come all this way. It would be absolutely absurd if we took the train and arrived after he was born. So we took the most expensive yellow cab uh, journey <laughs> in history from New York to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And um, we arrived, as it happened, many hours before he was born. And we sat in the room chatting. And eventually, I think after about three or four hours, she was ready. Um, and in suddenly this very empty room was suddenly filled with a whole team of doctors and nurses and and we were there um, 
eventually, you know, his his head appeared, and then he <laughs> he positively flew out. The midwife um, <laughs> barely caught him, and there he was. Um, and the sort of doctor had to sort of examine him very briefly, and uh, then he was he was handed over to us. Um, uh, I think I, I held him first um, and did some skin to skin time with him. When you arrived at the hospital, was there any issue about who you were? Oh yes, yeah. so they um, we went over um, for the twenty week scan, which was in December um, uh, twenty eighteen, and so we'd already been to the hospital. We'd met the you know admin person there. She was fully aware of who we were, and so when we arrived, we got given all these sort of wristbands that we had to wear. They knew exactly who we were. And how long after the birth did you take him back to your uh, <laughs> so we were in the hospital in Lancaster for uh, two nights. That's just sort of standard. And a further two and a half weeks in, in New York before his, um, his passport came through and we were able to fly home. With the birth certificate, we could then apply for his US passport on an expedited basis. So we decided to employ a passport agent to help us with that. It just seemed worth the money to, to ensure that all the documents were right. And, you know, within three weeks, I think we got his passport. We flew home exactly three weeks after he was born. That's amazing, especially compared to the situation for intended parents now who are travelling out, if they can, four or five weeks before the birth and having to quarantine. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't begin to imagine um, how difficult it must be and, and the added stress and, and costs involved in, in having to do what we did in the current circumstances. So how did you adapt as well to looking after a baby? Did it come very <laughs> easily? Gosh, it's funny. I, I, I have five nephews and nieces um, and a lot of my friends have children. So um, babies were not alien to me. I have changed quite a few nappies in my time but yeah I, I think nothing can really prepare you um you think you're ready but it is a huge life-changing thing and, and terrifying as well having this um tiny uh little child it, it, your responsibility and it was actually a really lovely time i mean it was sad in a way that we were across the atlantic from our family and our friends uh, but also really lovely because it was just the three of us, um, and it, yeah, it was a it was a, a wonderful time. So you go from having the U.S. parentage order being named on the U.S. birth certificate and the U.S. passport, and then you arrive in England and you're not legally recognised at all. Just ridiculous. Uh, you're always slightly worrying that people will uh, not take you seriously, not consider you his parents in a, in a non-legal sense uh, or this constant worry that that um, we would have to somehow prove our bona fides or or to consent to things because we were in this strange legal limbo we still had to go through this long uh, legal process in the uk um finally to be recognized as his parents here um, and by the time you know we got the parental order he was nearly seven months old and uh, it, it almost felt ridiculous that we were only being recognised as his parents then when we had 
obviously been his parents from the moment he'd been born. So you can't apply for a parental order before six weeks after the birth. And how did you find That's, that yeah. process? It didn't feel completely alien um, to me, you know, that the idea of making an application, um, there then being a, uh, a directions hearing, etc., etc. So the process itself felt very familiar to me. I can imagine it, it, it would feel very alien to people who weren't lawyers. And, but, you know, I, I drafted our joint statement, filed a joint statement as part of the process, um, setting out to the court your, each of your family histories and your re- history of your relationship and your decision of, to have children and why you wanted to do surrogacy and, and the route, the, this kind of story of your journey. And then more importantly, setting out the kind of, well, not more importantly, but, but certainly the court needs to understand that the compensation you've paid to the surrogate and all that kind of information as well. Just the fact of having to do it all, though, just felt absurd um, that we had to get an order. We had to go through this relatively long, it was uh, nearly seven months process uh, to be recognised as his parents in this jurisdiction. And it, it seems absurd that we could be so quickly recognised as his parents in the US um, and for it to take so very long to be recognised here. Yes. And did a parental court reporter come out to visit you as part of the process? Yes, yes. So we had the um, uh, the lady from Kafkas come. Um, she, was, she was very lovely. And, you know, it, it was nothing in the end that we had to be worried about but of course you do worry um <laughs> having a social <laughs> worker come round your house um it is it, you know always going to provoke anxiety and yeah it was fine in the end and she was lovely and, and her report was was great and 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 it all went well but but it's just another layer of anxiety and stress at a time which is you know very pretty tough those first few months of a baby's life are, are pretty tough on parents. Um, so to have the anxiety and stress of legal proceedings and of extra visits from a social worker um, just just made it that much more difficult. Uh, and, you know, we did eventually get that parental order in October. Um, and it was actually a very lovely hearing. There are lots of other parents there. And the judge, he's famous for liking to go through each story and then he makes the orders and then he has the parents come up with the babies and, and, and pose for photos with, with him, which is, which is very lovely, very different from um, family uh, proceedings, um, family hearings that I've been to as part of my job. Um, so it was nice to see that part of it. But again, it just, the whole process um, felt unnecessary and just frustrating. So, so after you obtained your parental order, then that allows you to get your UK birth uh, yes, that, so then we could get the UK birth certificate and uh, then the uh, UK passport. Yeah, so we didn't have his UK passport until uh, close to eight months after he was born. And so everybody in the surrogacy world is is very familiar with the fact that the current laws are not fit for purpose. And there has been this law commission. What are your thoughts on, on the law commission? Um, so it, it, it seems, um, like there will hopefully touch wood be a reform of the kind of parental order process, um, to speed that up. I very much hope that 
it'll be reformed such that uh, parents are recognised at uh, you know from the moment a baby is born as they are in the states, uh, or if not, then at the very least that that the process will be very much more curtailed, very much shorter, and so that there are only a matter of weeks, if that, after the baby is born, that a parent is, is that the parents are recognised as his parents here. But from the sides of it, very sadly, it doesn't look like the commission is going to recommend uh, that the law be reformed to allow for surrogates to be compensated. And that really means that the process here, you know, to get, you know, for, for intended parents to find a surrogate is not going to change. It's not going to become quicker. No agencies are going to be able to give any certainty as to timing or anything like that, because as long as surrogates cannot be compensated for being surrogates, there will always be a dearth of surrogates. And, you know, I remember at the time we were signed up with Surrogacy UK, they closed applications to new intended parents because there were so many intended parents and so few um, potential surrogates. And that will remain the same, unfortunately, until the law is reformed to allow for the compensation of surrogates. And what is frustrating beyond belief, at least for me, is that Surrogacy UK in the UK uh, for surrogacy, the campaigned against the law being reformed to allow for compensation of surrogates. They come up with this little tag that surrogacy is about love, not money, and insulting and somewhat facile because it ignores the reality of the vast majority of so-called altruistic surrogacy arrangements. And I'm not saying that there are no purely altruistic uh, arrangements taking place in the UK, for example, between family members. But most surrogacies here do not fit squarely into that box. And many do feature an element of compensation, uh, even if this is combined with a novel sum designed to cover the anticipated expenses arising from the surrogate's pregnancy. It also ignores the reality of the court process, um, where, as I said, the court has developed an approach of accepting payments made as reasonable expenses. I find it insulting for a couple of reasons uh, to say that surrogacy should be about love, not money. It implies that if a surrogate is compensated, they're entering into agreement for purely hard-nosed commercial reasons. And that is simply not true uh, to give a fat same gift. And as for the compensation she was paid, that was to start a college fund for her two boys. And the other reason I find it insulting is because it implies that there can be no love in a compensation, a compensated arrangement. Again, obviously that is completely and utterly untrue. From what I've already said about our surrogate's motivations, you can see love on display, her love for her boys and wanting other families to experience it, that love, um, wanting to make a positive difference to the life of another family. And of course, there is the love between the intended parents and the love that they have for their longed-for child. So it doesn't matter whether a surrogate is compensated or not. There is love in all kinds of arrangements. And it, the, it, the reality is that surrogates are rarely 100% altruistic or 100% commercially motivated. Very often, and most of the time, there is a hybrid of the two, which is why surrogacy can work so well for all involved, whereas been entered into from a fully informed stance. Um, I just I find it baffling that Surrogacy UK could oppose a reform in the law, which means they are in effect supporting a system where there will continue to be a huge disparity between the number of intended parents and the realistic number of potential surrogates. And the most iniquitous aspect of that whole system 
is that those who can afford to uh, can opt out of the UK and can go abroad and pay uh, a surrogate, whereas those who cannot are stuck in the UK system and one that is not fit for purpose. And a time when the public conversation uh, is increasingly focusing on the disparity between the rich and the poor, made worse by the pandemic, this is yet another example in society where the wealthy can benefit, but those less wealthy cannot. Yes, and it could be that if you were here, you'd still be looking for your surrogate. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you, Andrew, about the cost of the health insurance. I would say that's the one and only area where the UK beats the US. Um, There is no national health service, as everyone knows, uh, in the US. Um, And so as intended parents, uh, we were faced with this utterly Byzantine system of health insurance. Um, No one could give us a straight answer about anything. We got lots of um, extremely complicated emails, which didn't give us straight answers as we try to find out the, the most cost-effective and best way to ensure that the was insured. Because like, you know, whilst our surrogate had her own health insurance to work and that she eventually was able to confirm with them that she was covered effectively, yeah. um, we had to either risk it and not get any health insurance and hope that his birth was complication-free and they didn't have to spend any time in the neonatal intensive care unit, NICU. Uh, and then just pay for the, the stay in the hospital, those two nights in the hospital, just ourselves, or be faced with the possibly ruinous costs of him spending a few days or a week or more in, in NICU uninsured, which would have come to tens of, and tens of thousands of, of dollars. So in the end, we decided we wouldn't take the risk. We would um, get health insurance. I think eventually we got the sort of, a policy, it was still relatively expensive. But yeah, that, that was the one aspect that was difficult. Uh, and then other, aside from that, once we were out of hospital, we were registered with a paediatrician, a private paediatrician in New York, Tribeca Pediatrics, it was called, uh, to make sure he was gaining weight. Uh, and then again, a few days before, or sorry, the day before we flew, um, we, we got him, we had him checked out again as well, just to make sure that he was well and uh, and he was okay to fly. I can't imagine how much more stressful and mind-boggling it would have been if, you know, one of us hadn't been a lawyer. Like, you know, I was familiar at least with some of the jargon and familiar with the court process here, so it didn't feel completely alien and, and intimidating. Um, but yeah, I think it is such a missed opportunity, the Law Commission, um, because it appears that they will not take the steps that or will not recommend that the steps that should be taken are taken. Um, and who knows when the next opportunity will be, um, but I imagine it won't be for quite a while. Thank you so much, Andrew. That's been so insightful to have your views. Thank you very much. Oh, pleasure. Well, thank you for having me.